In a far-off land, a radio show will commence. It's called Your Pet Matters, and tuning in would just make sense. Every Saturday at 10 a.m., relax and unwind. And listen to Dr. T, who has pet advice designed for you and for you alone. Free advice just for helping to keep your furry friend happy and healthy. Tune in to Your Pet Matters, a show underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care with quality you can't deny. Only on 1077 The Bronx. Good morning. Welcome to Your Pet Matters. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T. Tequila, and I've got a special guest today, Dr. Chris Shapley of Bricktown Vet. He's a practicing veterinarian in my neck of the woods in New Jersey. So, Chris, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. Um, we're, we're chatting really about- really appreciate it. Yeah, we were chatting about things that Chris likes outside of veterinary medicine. Maybe we'll get to that in the show. Yes. But, but initially, Chris, uh, what I like to do is I'd like to introduce you to my audience and I, I call them origin stories. And so how did you get into veterinary medicine and how did you get to where and what you're doing now? Okay, so um, it's a long and winding path. So everybody needs to like get, you know, relax, get some coffee. <laughs> uh, it's a bit of a story. So I'm, I'm originally from uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. So I'm a, uh, I'm a Hoosier, Midwestern boy. Um, if you ask my mother, I, ever since I was two years old, um, I had one of those little Fisher Price, um, was it like first aid kit, doctor yeah. kit things with the stethoscope. Yeah. And I apparently used to torture the cats. Um, <laughs> thankfully they were, they were very patient. Um, and you know, my, my mom used to say, I'm going to fix them. I'm going to fix them. That's all I would keep on saying. And I'd be chasing after them with this little Fisher Price uh, doctor kit. Um, fast forward to, we moved to New Jersey, um, probably more around the time I like, was in elementary school. And um, there was an event at um, Westover Elementary where, where I went. And uh, there was a wildlife rehabilitator, uh, Virginia Andreessen, who I guess the school invited me, I can't remember if it was a Boy Scout event, but you know, that was over 40 years ago. But um, she brought all these animals, so raccoons, uh, squirrels, all these animals that she had re rehabilitated or was rehabilitating. And at the end of her presentation, if I remember correctly, she had asked, you know, are any anybody in the audience looking to get into wildlife rehab work, want to volunteer? I stuck my hand up in the air and volunteered my parents. So, um, my mom, who is a gigantic animal lover, um, almost to the point of obsession, really, really fed that. So um, from age probably um, seven or eight to about 17, 18, I did wildlife rehab work. Wow. And what was really fun about applying to vet schools, you know, you have to put down the number of hours you of animal experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I sat down with the wildlife rehabilitator that we worked with and we calculated over 5,000 hours <laughs> of, of animal experience I had, you know, from age eight to age 18. And she even said that was probably like an under, under estimate, that was a conservative estimate. Um, so I put that down on my vet school application. I'm sure that knocked somebody out of their chair, you know. <laughs> guys got 5,000 hours of rehab work. Um, but I went to, uh, I went to undergrad at uh, Montclair State University. Okay. Um, got a, a bachelor of science in biology there. Um, 
while I was up there, I started my own dog walking, pet sitting business um, to kind of help me, you know, pay for college. And I worked uh, hospital security during the summers, like that kind of stuff. Um, actually have been training in martial arts since I was six years old. Wow. Um, found a Kung Fu school that I was training at, wound up, you know, training and teaching there too, all while I was kind of like an undergrad. Um, at some point in time, picked up, moved to Chicago because all the pressures of having to apply to veterinary schools like too much for me. So I just met a girl and I picked up and moved to Chicago and lived in Chicago for three years. Uh, it sold medical grade plastic to a company in, or to companies in Canada, basically. Oh, wow. um, and then got sick and tired of the Chicago winters, even though I'm a Midwestern boy, moved back to New Jersey, uh, did some you know, um, a little bit of master's degree work. I was working towards a master's degree in conservation biology. And by that, this time, and this is important, I guess, for the viewers or anybody who's didn't follow or not following a traditional path, thinking, well, at 27, 28, am I too old to apply to vet school? No, because I was 28 and said to myself, wow, like, I need a grown-up job. Yeah, you you're more I mean? mature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so when I got back from Chicago is when I, uh, when I opened up that dog walking business and, you know, was part of that Kung Fu school and everything. Um, and then, yeah, around 27, 28, I applied to vet school, never thought I was going to make it in because we all know how tough it is to get into yep. vet school. So my backup plan was actually the FBI. So wow, okay. yeah. I had, um, hooked up with, a you know, with the FBI and, and a recor recruiter did the preliminary work. Um, and then. I think it was a month after I started doing all that preliminary work and was like taking steps towards getting into the FBI because I hadn't heard back from any of the vet schools at this by this point in time and everybody else had um, Western University of Health Sciences in Pomona, California actually reached out to me and they're like, hey, notice you didn't, you know, you haven't accepted any vet schools yet. Want to, you know, want to come and interview, you know, with us. And I researched them a little, a little bit. And one of the things that I loved about Western U was they didn't do any terminal surgeries there. So yeah, everything, okay, yeah. everything for anatomy that we worked on was donated. So oh, people's wow. pets, people's horses, people's cattle, you know, just donated, um, donated to us for our anatomy labs. And that's something that I absolutely loved. And I thought that was one of the coolest things also, it's a case-based medicine and it's um, case and evidence-based medicine. So we basically just, you know, sat and hashed out cases just like we do in, uh, on a daily basis with our colleagues. Yeah. yeah. So uh, graduated from there in uh, 2010, um, thought I was going to make California my home, um, to be honest with you. Uh, sad part of the story, my, my maternal grandfather, who was like my best friend in the whole world, passed away while I was in vet school. Yeah. Then my mom and my grandma got sick at the same time, and I had like PTSD from losing my grandfather. So I right. left this whole great thing I had set up in California and moved back to New Jersey. Um, I had actually tracked large animals. So I thought I was going to be uh, an yeah. equine bovine doctor. Yeah, That's okay. what I tracked my last year and a half of vet school. 
moved back to New Jersey, did a little racetrack work, uh, Meadowlands racetrack, um, and then fell into doing small animal medicine. So, wow, that's, a, that's that, that, that was a, yeah, that was a white knuckle ride through the no, life that's, of that's uh, Dr. Shapley there. So <laughs> what, what I love about it is, is, is there's this drive from a, a youngster to be a vet, which is very common in our profession. Absolutely. And then your life changes just, just led to different things. So no, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, so, so, so it's because of the geographic relocation that you started, like what, what transition from large to small, what, what, what made that decision for you? Uh, I, I hate to say it, but it, the truth is, is finances. Um, you know, it's hard to get full-time work. It's hard to get an associate, a full-time associate position in large animal because we're, New Jersey is fed so much by Penn that like anybody, you know, and you're going to want to hire somebody who, you know, went to Penn, you know, over me who went to Western U. Granted, Western U is a great school, but, you know, it, there's local bias, you know, <laughs> like Penn feeds into the large animal of the tri-state area. So um, I actually, yeah, um, I fell back on, uh, on small animal, which, you know, I... I loved, didn't realize how much um, I actually truly loved it because I was of the mindset was like, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm a large animal vet. I'm yeah. going to be a large animal vet forever. So uh, life changes. But another thing about being a veterinarian is we're all about adaptation. Right. You know, it's all about, you know, life throws your curveball. You're going to, you know, you're going to dig in. So now that's, that's, that's how I got into it. That's excellent. And what, what we'll do is we'll take a short break right now. We'll come back, have a wonderful discussion with Dr. Chris Shapley right here on Your Pet Matters, 1077-1077, thebronc.com. Hear ye, hear ye. Your Pet Matters is back to answer your pet queries. Come get free pet advice from our friend, Dr. T, only on 1077 The Bronx. Welcome back. And if you're just joining me, I'm having a great discussion with a uh, a local colleague of mine, Dr. Chris Shapley, he's a veterinarian who practices in New Jersey, uh, Bricktown Vet Hospital. And uh, he's actually, one of his passions is, is veterinary acupuncture. So, so Chris, how did you get into veterinary acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine? So um, again, another, another long story, but I, um, I, like I had said earlier on uh, the previous segment, I started, um, practicing in, uh, training in martial arts uh, when I was six years old. So I grew up with a lot of Asian Americans. Um, as I got deeper into it, um, I became exposed not just to the martial side of things, but the, the actual art of it. And um, so with that, you know, fully in, in, you know, ingrained in, or not ingrained, but like kind of, uh, I don't know. I just, I just got entrenched in the culture, yep, you know, yep. uh, Japanese and Chinese culture. And, um, so I, you know, I, I did Goju-Ru for a while. Then I got into judo, a little bit of jujitsu. And then I started doing Kung Fu in my like early twenties. And a lot of the, uh, grandmasters that I had worked with, uh, doing Kung Fu were obviously big on, you know, uh, Eastern medicine. Um, we were in North Jersey up in Rutherford. We'd go into Chinatown on the weekend um, to either train or teach. 
and you know they would you know say oh your shoulder's bothering you let's go to this herbalist and you know he would speak to the herbalist about what's bothering me how it's bothering me. the herbalist would like look at my eyes look at my tongue feel my pulse and he would just grab a bunch of stuff off the shelf give it to me and a week later my shoulder was perfectly fine you know yeah and then any other injuries, like, you know, with my knee, I had a chronic knee injury and they're like, well, Chris, we'll take you to an acupuncturist. And I'm like, in my early twenties with these guys that I revered that were to me, like these gods among men, you know, these amazing martial artists. And I'm like, sure. You want, you want some guy to stick needles in my leg? I never heard of this before. Why not? And, uh, you know, they would do acupuncture on me and I, I again would feel amazing and i i fought in tournaments i did like you know little like amateur mixed martial arts kind of stuff and um yeah i what helped me recover and what helped me um you know continue to train through the pain was herbs and acupuncture and then before i even went to medical school you know if i had a stomach ache well i remembered that there was an herb for that and if i had a headache I remember that there was an herb for that because, you know, my, again, my mother was all about being as natural as possible. She was a professional dancer and a choreographer. So she, you know, was all about like natural remedies. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, I, I go through vet school. I, um, I get into small animal practice and I'm practicing and still for myself, training in martial arts, still getting acupuncture done, still getting had taking herbs for myself. And then I said, well, why aren't I doing this for my patients? Right. Like I'm prescribing these pharmaceuticals that are perfectly safe and regulated and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, what do you do when carprofen doesn't work? What do you do when trazodone doesn't calm down that stressed out patient? What do you do? So I, um, I had heard about the Chi Institute uh, down in Riddick, Florida, and I, um, I went down there probably like seven years ago, maybe a little bit longer, and uh, met Dr. Shea, and just fell in love all over again with the Eastern side or the traditional Chinese veterinary med medicine side of my job. Like it made me fall in love with my job again. It actually. I would say I was experiencing a little bit of burnout that we all know about probably hit my third, fourth year of practice. The standard time when we all start hitting some yeah, burnout. Called and, third year hump. Yep. yep. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And doing acupuncture, I was like, and, and, you know, learning about herbs. I'm like, I had a new lease on my um, career life. You know, I was like, I, and <clears throat> I dove right into it. I, I said, you know, I'm going to learn everything I can about acupuncture, uh, became a certified veterinary acupuncturist, um, and then said, I'm going to learn everything in the world about herbs too, that I can all, you know, again, through, through Dr. Shea and the Chi Institute. So currently I'm working on uh, getting my uh, herbal certification. It's like a two-year online I got to publish papers. Like it's the real deal. It's, yeah, yeah. it's like working on a graduate degree. It really, you know, it really is for my acupuncture. We had um, obviously all pre COVID we had uh, labs, you know, so I would, I flew down four or five times to, um, to Riddick, uh, Florida 
you know, did, did the wet labs there, uh, did online studies. And it's more than just, you know, you sit in a lecture and you watch some people do acupuncture. They actually had us do it. And we had um, a practical exam where I had a dog in front of me and they're like, all right, here's 20 points. Wow. Show us where they are yeah. on the animal. And when you have over 200 acupuncture points, it's a little scary to remember yeah, yeah. just 10% of them in that moment. Um, and then we had a written exam um, and this was all in order to become certified. So it's a real deal. It's not like, oh, I watched a one hour course. I actually worked on my acupuncture certification for 18 months. Wow. Yeah. And then, um, like I said, I'm working on the herbal course and that's, uh, that's about a two year commitment. Um, and I'm halfway through it. And when I'm done, I got to write papers that are publishable, not just like, I learned that you can give Fluffy this herb. It's like, here's a case study. Here's what I did. It was either a great success or a horrible failure, you know? And uh, yeah, so if you walk into Bricktown Vet and you go into our pharmacy, the top row of our pharmacy is all Dr. Shapley's herbs, like all the herbs. It's like, it's, it's honestly, it's just a, you know, a sea of herbs, you know? <laughs> and it's just stuff that I, you know, my day-to-day -day stuff. But um, so with acupuncture, I, it's not just musculoskeletal stuff. So I treat kidney disease. Um, I'll use herbs and acupuncture to treat, you know, heart conditions, um, treating a dog that has Cushing's that mom doesn't want to do trilostane at all. So we're doing herbs, we're doing acupuncture, um, you know, you name it, you know, and that's the running joke uh, in the hospital is like, there's an herb for it, or there's a needle for it. There's either an herb or a needle for it or both. And everybody knows that. So it, it's great. And I love it. That's, that's awesome. So really quickly, now we just got a few minutes in the segment is so okay. how do you typically do the whole exam, the whole Eastern <clears throat> approach to the exam is completely different. And so yes, in a nutshell, how do you how do you assess a pet versus the traditional way that we, we do from the Western standpoint? So I would say probably about 75% of my exam is the traditional Western. So I'm looking eyes, ears, uh, auscultating, that kind of stuff, feeling pulses, feeling lymph nodes, all that. Um, as far as the, when you start going into the Western side of things, um, Eastern side of things, sorry, um, I'm looking at tongue. I'm looking at the pallor of the tongue. I'm looking at what color each and every part of the tongue is, you know, because it's either associated with the heart or the liver or the kidney, whatever. I'm feeling the, the back femoral pulses with all my, you know, with my fingers because, you know, one part of the pulse is linked to an organ. So if I feel, you know, and then it's the quality of the pulse. Is it thready? Is it bounding? You know, and if it's thready, uh, then I know, you know, there's um, like a, a, a stagnation, like a chi or a blood stagnation. If it's bounding, I know that there's a, a blood or a chi access or potentially a heat pathogen. And then, um, you know, and what I like to do is I scan with my hands down the, uh, we have all like the command points down the back. So each bladder point that runs down the back is associated with an organ. So I'll, I'll feel for divots or deficiencies or excesses. And that'll kind of help me like hone in. If you put the whole thing together, kind of helps me hone in. And then we look at personality, constitution, um, energy in the room. Are they cold seeking? Are they heat seeking? 
you know, it, it's, it, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, but it's, but that's, that's a very, very quick kind of some of the that's stuff. Excellent. That, yeah, that's yeah. excellent. We, we can go, we can go into more detail because I, I wouldn't mind just talking about a couple of case studies or your approach and everything. And, and, yeah, absolutely. you know, I, I, I think, uh, and then even how you do the acupuncture itself and we'll, we'll go, we'll, why don't we go into that after the short break, we'll take a short break right now and we'll continue talking about acupuncture with Dr. Chris Shapley. You're listening to your pet matters right here on 1077. 1077thebronc.com. Every weekend, you'll find a project to get involved with. And sometimes it'll include your scaly or furry partner in crime. From Your Pet Matters with Dr. T, it's time for Producers Pet Project. Your go-to for pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and overall helpful tips and tricks to keep your best friend happy and healthy. Producers Pet Project is underwritten in part by Progressive Veterinary Care. Hello everyone, and I hope you're enjoying this episode of Your Pet Matters. I'm your producer, Wade Buchanan, and today I want to talk about the dreaded shedding that comes from dogs. Yes, we've all dealt with it if we've had a dog or really any furry friends in our house. We already know that somehow, some way, a dog's hair will end up on our clothes. It ruins our entire outfit, makes us look bad. And I thought the question saying, as summer's coming up, do dogs occasionally shed more in the summertime uh, than any other particular season? So I have a article talking about everything you need to know about dog shedding. Um, it's by the RSPCA Pet Insurance, and you can find them at their respective website. Um, but it states, uh, the degree to which a dog sheds will vary greatly depending on its breed, pregnancy status, and general health. Some dogs shed constantly all year, and some shed seasonally in the summer. And some appear not to shed much at all. But it's important to understand all dogs undergo a normal shedding cycle that cannot be prevented. Right? So as I scrolled further throughout the article, it also talks about how to limit shedding. So. It states, before you start cleaning up your pet's hair, there are a number of preventative measures you can take to limit and control your pet's shedding in the first place. It states that regular brushing uh, daily or every three days depending on the breed uh, with a quality brush suited for your dog's coat will get rid of any loose hair in a controlled way, meaning you can be quick to clean it up before it spreads all over the house. Regular brushing also stimulates your dog's hair follicles to keep their coat looking smooth, vibrant, and shiny. Controlling allergies and fleas will stop your pet from scratching all their skin. Uh, scratching can increase the amount of hair they shed, so make sure that they're being treated regularly with quality tick and flea treatment. If you notice your pet's skin looking irritated or they're scratching at it a lot, take them to your vet for a checkup. Also, bathing your dog with an oatmeal shampoo once a week um, will, keep, will also keep your dog's coat healthy, strong, and shiny, which can contribute to reducing the amount they shed. Keeping their coat healthy should lessen their shedding, um, and because dogs shed to get rid of dry, damage, and dead hair. And here's tips for cleaning up shedding. The best way to keep your home dog hair-free is to have a regular cleaning routine in place. Daily vacuuming of the carpets and furniture will gather up any hair trapped in fabrics. Vacuuming is also recommended even if you have tiles or hardwood floors, as sweeping can sometimes cause the hair to, um, to rise into the air and settle into an area you've already cleaned. 
As for your clothes, an old-fashioned lint roller does the job just fine. For preventative measures, covering your furniture and car seats with some nice throws can be a good investment for keeping your home smelling and looking fresh. Keep in mind that there's been freshly shed that that's been freshly said is much easier to clean up than hair that's been trotted into the carpet or pushed into furniture. So make sure your cleaning efforts are regular to save time in the long run. You can also train your dog to sit on a designated pet blanket. And that is all the time that I have for on this episode. But tune in next week where I give you more tips, tricks, and overall just fun facts to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Until then, it's back to Dr. T and your pet matters. I'm your producer, Wade Buchanan, and I will see you all in the next episode. Stay safe, everybody. That was today's segment of Producer's Pet Project. Your one stop for all things pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and more. Be sure to tune in next time. And for a more in-depth conversation, listen to Your Pet Matters with Dr. T every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Producer's Pet Project is underwritten in part by Progressive Veterinary Care. Only on 107.7 The Bronx. Hear ye, hear ye. Your Pet Matters is back to answer your pet queries. Come get free pet advice from our friend, Dr. T, only on 1077 The Bronx. Welcome back to Your Pet Matters. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T, Tikiwa, and I'm having a wonderful discussion with Dr. Chris Shapley about acupuncture. And so what we're going to do is we're going to delve into a couple uh, types of cases that he deals with and what his approach is, both from a Western and um traditional Chinese medicine approach. So, so Chris, why don't we start with, let's say an internal medicine type case. How would you approach it? Like what sort of examples can you use? Okay. So, um, probably the, the case that I've worked the hardest on, um, is a, is a dermatological case. So a lot of people will say, well, how are you going to use acupuncture? How are you going to use herbs for a dermatological case? Any of the veterinarians out there that are listening or watching are going to say, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> um, but you have to remember, I'm the Hail Mary pass. I'm the guy <laughs> do that. I'm the guy you come to when everything else has failed and the client's about to walk out the door because they're just frustrated and done. So um, there's this angel of a shih tzu um, that I've been taking care of for probably about two or three years now. Um, And we know shih tzus just have horrible atopic dermatitis. It could be food allergies, could be whatever. Well, she was having such chronic skin and ear infections that we've literally, she has become resistant to antibiotics. She has become resistant to even the ear packings. Wow. um, and you know, I kind of took the case and I, and I explained to mom who thankfully she, uh, her daughter's boyfriend is a friend of mine. And he's like, just like, like Chris, take, take the reins. He's not going to steer you wrong. Um, but this is an older couple who are accustomed to, you know, traditional Western medicine. They, you know, granted her other son like owns a dojo or something like that. So she she understands a little bit, but that's about the extent of it, you know? So, um, what I did with, um, with this dog is I basically, um, did everything that I said in the last segment. I, I looked at, um, pallor of the tongue, 
found out, you know, tried to figure out what her constitution was, you know, was she a wood constitution, a fire constitution, whatever, um, felt her pulses, you know, just, and reviewed her case pretty, pretty in depth. Um, and basically found out, you know, obviously I, in a, in a Western explanation of it, it's just, you know, she just has chronic adipe dermatitis with, you know, superficial pyoderma and chronic otitis externa, you know, that has now become resistant. Well, for me, in my eyes, she had a blood chi deficiency and a damp uh, wind heat invasion causing all of her issues. I came to that conclusion, again, doing just my pattern, our pattern diagnosis. Um, so what I started with her was doing, uh, just doing herbs um, to kind of deal with, and, and there are herbal formulations that uh, Jing Tong has. Um, so we started off with damp heat, uh, damp ear heat formula. And that has like, you know, a whole bunch of herbs in that to not only, you know, clear the heat and clear the dampness and, you know, also balance out the herbs so we don't make her sick or dry out the skin or the ears too much. Um, then I started introducing uh, aquapuncture with her. And um, there's two ways you can do aquapuncture. Um, you do B12, which in Chinese medicine is considered hot or warming, or you do uh -huh. sterile saline, which is considered cool. Okay. Well, I said at the beginning, we had a damp heat, you know, invasion, um, you know, with a, you know, like a wind toxin. Um, so I use, I chose for to use sterile saline and I used basically acupuncture points to kind of shut down the, the wind gate you know, that wind pathogen and kind of tonify and soother. So there's on Shen, which is right behind the ears. There's Dantian on top of the head. And then these points down the neck and it's all to, to, you know, kind of deal with this, you know, wind heat invasion. Um, we, mom still wanted to do traditional ear packings to treat the, treat the ears. And I finally convinced her that there was just an herbal, tincture that we could order to treat the, you know, to treat the ear infection. And we wound up doing that and she had very stenotic ear canals yeah. and that, um, that herb opened up the ear canals. Um, we haven't probably, knock wood, in probably about like six months or so, haven't had to use antibiotics or wow. ear packings or anything like that. Now, granted, it was a it was an uphill climb because I'm trying to balance all these different things, and um, finally, we have her probably to the best she's ever looked. And I just have her on the tincture for the ears, um, and um, an herbal formulation for the uh, for the wind toxin that she has uh, going on too. And so, mom's super super happy. Okay, so let, let's go back. How many treatments did you have to do prior to actually starting to see an effect? We started to see improvement probably within two to three months. Okay. But it wasn't perfect. And we all know that us, us veterinarians are type A personalities. And I was not happy until there was no outbreak. So it took me, you know, it, three months um, after starting treatment, we were doing really well, but we'd have the occasional, you know, pop-ups, maybe every couple of months. 
where I'd be like, oh, geez, it looks like we're right at the beginning again. So it took me about two and a half years to get it perfect. My, right. my standard of perfect, you know, and um, yeah, mom couldn't be happier and we're, and we're doing really, really well. And not only is, you know, this isn't all the, you know, pat on my back, you know, make, you know, make me feel better about myself or make the client happy. The dog's happy. Yeah. She's back to, you know, after those first three months, she was back to running around and playing and normal. Well, now mom says she's like a puppy again. And she's now, I think she's like 12 or 13. So to have that age of a Shih Tzu running around like a maniac and being a pain in the butt, as mom says, which is good, you know, yeah. it's just great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So what, what other case study do you have to talk to us about? Um, so I, the most common that I get, um, are the musculoskeletal. So the geriatric dogs with like severe osteoarthritis in the hips. And I have, um, probably at least a dozen or more dogs that I, that I treat that, um, when I first met mom and dad, um, it was like, you know, their dog was so bad. They were like, I I think, you know, if this doesn't work, we're going to have to euthanize. Okay. So, and it's just musculoskeletal degenerative myelopathy, like that kind of stuff. So um, with cases like that, um, let's say, you know, with degenerative myelopathy, I'll, I'll use dry needle, I'll use a combination of dry needle, aquapuncture and electroacupuncture as well as herbs. And, you know, we do all those different modalities, um, not only just to kind of speed up the process because we're in dire straits, like we need to get this dog mobile, like, and fast. Um, so electroacupuncture wakes up the nerves in the back end, really treats that uh, degenerative myelopathy. There's a recent study saying that um, certain points, um, and, I, and I don't remember the exact study, but will help kind of regenerate nerves too. We'll turn the nerves back on and help regenerate them. I know there's a basketball player that was having some nerve issues and they had done electroacupuncture on it and it helped them. Um, so we kind of translated that over to the animal side, but, um, you know, with a combination of doing dry needling, aquapuncture, the electroacupuncture and the herbal formulations, I've had dogs that three years ago, we probably were going to euthanize and now they're still up and they're walking. And again, it's all about the quality of life. And what I tell my clients is, I'm not a quantity of life doctor. I'm a quality of life doctor. So if I can make your dog feel great for six months and then that's their time, awesome. Honestly, these cases, I didn't expect to. And I was actually last week was with two of my clients, we were, we were joking and I'm like, can you believe we've been doing this for three years? And they're like, yeah, you gave my dog three more years of wow. good life, you know? That's awesome. And I'm hoping to give them another year or two, you know? So I'll just keep on doing it until it doesn't work anymore. That's my philosophy. And do, do, you, do you have that? Do you have, um, well, I, I guess you really have to have clients that are willing, right? Because it seems like these clients yeah. are just, you know, want to work with you. And so you're, are you talking like you see them three times a week to do this or twice a week? Or um, how, how, do you, how do you work it um, out? Honestly, it depends on the case, but I never see them more than twice a week. Okay. Um, I always tell everybody to... Um, give me four to six weeks. And if we don't have any improvement, like not even, I mean, if I get 2% improvement, that's improvement. And that's something I can build on. Right. Um, I can't think of a case where we haven't seen some sort of improvement, but I usually tell people to give me a minimum four to six weeks. We're definitely going to see some sort of improvement. And then it depends on the dog. So I have dogs that come in once a week for acupuncture. 
Um, I have a new client that happens to be coming in twice a week because the dog is kind of down in the back end. But after three treatments, we're, we're actually able to walk. I mean, we walk like Frankenstein, but we're able to walk. walk you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, that client's coming twice a week, but typically it's once a week. And then we try once every two weeks. Then I try to go once a month. And I have dogs that see me twice a year for tune-ups. Wow. That's and excellent. that's it. Like mom, I tell mom and dad what to look for. And, you know, my clients are amazing. And they're like, you know what? Fluffy's getting that little drag that you were telling me about. Time to do acupuncture. And then we do one treatment and they're on the road again. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And so like, do you take referrals from around the, the area as well and everything like that? How does it work for that? I take everybody. If I'm working, I'm doing acupuncture. So I have folks that come, um, yeah, from all over the state. Um, I've had people come to see me from New York and from Pennsylvania. Um, like I said, I, it's my favorite thing to do. So if I'm fully booked and we even have emergencies and somebody wants to do acupuncture, I'm like, just, yeah, just bring them in. I'll do it. That's awesome. I'll do it. I'll fit you in. I always fit them in. That's great. That's great. Especially at, at these times, you know, to fit in and everything. Cause we're booking, we're solid booking and everything like that. Well, well, Chris, yeah. I got to tell you, we're, we're out of time. And as oh. always, as always a great conversation just goes like that. <laughs> yes, it does. Thank so how, you so much. Oh, thanks for being on, but how can people reach you? What's so, the great um, you reaching you? Bricktown Veterinary Hospital in Bricktown, New Jersey. Uh, we're off of Chambersbridge Road. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I never remember. I think I'm, I don't know, Christopher Shapley DVM or something like that. I don't know. Just Bricktown Veterinary Hospital. Find me there. You know, Call, yeah. make an appointment if you want to see me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. And remember, everyone, love your pet like they love you unconditionally. Have a great day. Your Pet Matters with Dr. T comes to a close. Yet fret not if you missed the 10 a.m. Saturday show. Tune in Monday morning at 9 if you please. And hear free advice for all your dog and cat needs. You can find past episodes on the Your Pet Matters podcast or go to 1077thebronc.com slash yourpetmatters. Made for you and your pets, 1077 The Bronx is beyond compare. Your Pet Matters is underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care.